Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, I'm your host Norm, and this is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, a special weekly episode where a bunch of us content creators come together and let you know what we've been playing recently. And on this episode are... Board on the Air. Board and Game with Andrew Bookholz. The Tabletop Bellhop. The Meeple Dungeon. Meeple and the Moose. And Cardboard Conjecture. And I always say it and I'll say it again. Check the show notes. There's links to the cast. Check out their stuff and have fun. You know, enjoy. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And this is Board on the Air, a weekly radio show in Saskatoon. And you are listening to What Have You Been Playing Wednesday? Uh, on tonight's episode, we're talking about... Clank Catacombs, a two-to-four player game of the Clank series. Yes, this is more based on the original Clank than Clank in Space. Uh, but it has, I would say, one aspect of Clank in Space just twisted a lot more. Which aspect is that? Well, Clank in Space does have the modular board. Yes, yeah. Th- this is the the big thing with this one is the board is modular. You start with one base tile, and then you take four of six purple tiles, is that Yeah, right? four, six entr- four of the six entrance tiles. Or and then, safe zones. Yeah, they're the safe zones. So if you get back to there, you're going to score points, like in the other games where below the line you lose, you won't score anything, above the line you will. Yeah, and then all the other tiles are just shuffled, and they come out randomly as you exit a board. All tiles will fit together, and depending it, on what you hit... You are, are going to be surprised for the most part. Yeah. There's uh, ghost tiles, which will bring in the assassin cubes or... Yeah, what? like the all-hitting there, the... The Everyone gets hit and then they go back. <laughs> yeah, those tiles. They're little white cubes in this one, uh, similar to Clank Legacy. Yeah. Uh, it. Both times we played it, I found it's been a lot quicker than the other Clank games. Yeah, it's... 45 minutes to an hour, I would say, is the game. Uh, Because you don't know what's coming out, it's a little bit scarier to explore. Yes. And I do find that there are a lot more, like, uh, tile or cards that flip that you have to do attacks with. Yeah. And there's a lot of cards in it that give you benefits for making Clank. And not a lot of cards that remove Clank. Yeah, I didn't come across... In both games, there was not a lot of cards that pulled Clank off the board. It, it was all put in, put in, put in. If and you put Clank in, you get this benefit. If you put Clank in, you get this benefit. Yeah, and so we've played at four-player twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, first time, it was fairly even. I think everybody got out. Everyone got out, much to the stress of one player. Yeah, like Shay, who usually is pretty easygoing in games, got very stressed and very angry at us in the in Clank Catacombs. <laughs> uh, 
when we played the second time, uh, three of the four of us got out. Uh, I two, died two of us exiting. escaped. One of us died in the safe tiles, and one went exploring. exploring. <laughs> he, he went exploring, and he got a lot of tiles out, but there was no way he was getting back. Yeah. Uh, it still has the original clank. You can dine and dash and start pulling tiles to try and kill people off. Yes, and sometimes... But the trick to it is you don't know when the t- treasures are coming out because they're in the stack of things. Th- that is the biggest thing. Like, when I went exploring, the first tile I pulled had a treasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just made sense to me to get it. Yeah, right? but then, like, the next four after that, no treasures, so... Yeah, exactly. As, you know, Norm went exploring, he couldn't find a treasure. Uh, so that really cost him, and in the end result, uh, too many of his cubes got pulled. Yep. Uh, that being said, I really like this one. Uh, I've never bought the original Clank or any of its expansions. Uh, I was tempted to when it was on uh, Kijiji last week, but we already have Clank in space. Uh, we're in the middle of a game in Clank, or I'm in the middle of two games of Clank Legacy, and it just seems something that isn't needed. Yeah, when... You, there's only so many of one type of game you really need, and both of the other two Clanks, like this one, Clank Catacombs, and Clank in Space, are probably two I'd grab sooner than the original Clank. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, with the original Clank, you have your set boards, so you know where you're going to get something and get out. Uh, and it really, from what everybody has told me, I haven't played it, but everybody has told me it's very easy to dine and dash in that one. Yeah. Uh, Clank in space, you can, but it slows you down enough for putting out your cubes. Yeah, Clank in space, you have to you have to go into two of the three boards before you can actually get a treasure, and the treasure is a long ways away in Clank in space. Yeah, if uh, you get to it quick enough, you can just take the elevator, the thing back. You but can, but it's it's, it's you sometimes most of the time you're not gonna be able to actually use it all the way back because it gets locked off. For sure, but. You know, just looking at Clank Catacombs itself, uh, the new features are the lock picks and the ghost tiles, and there's the one that has the four cubes that you can put on the way shrine. The way sh- wave shrine, the way way shrine, way shrine, and each one you visit gives you a dollar for each one you've been to, including the one you went to. Yeah. Uh, so if a lot of them come out, you can make a lot of money pretty quick. Yeah. But if again, if only one of them comes out, you're not going to get the most benefit. For sure. And that's the thing with this one is you can be like, okay, I'm going to hit a whole bunch of these way shrines, but they never come out. So you're like, okay, now what am I doing? Yeah. And like the game itself plays like any of the clanks. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a wonderful game. I, I would agree. I would say if I want a gamier version of it, I would grab Clank in Space. Yeah. I feel like it's a good beginning of the day game. Yeah, I would say it's your icebreaker. It's your, uh, it's more approachable version of Clank. Yeah. Right? Okay, I'm David. And I'm Jordan. We'll talk to you next week. Hi, this is Andrew Buckold of BoardingGame.com. This week, I'm going to talk about something that's a little bit of old news, but something that I still think is pretty cool. That's the San Diego Historical Games Convention Summit Award. 
I've been volunteering with the SD HIST organization for about half a year now, and I really enjoyed getting to be part of the Summit Award. This was the inaugural year for the Summit Award, and its goal is to recognize a historical board game published in the preceding year, so in 2021 in this case, that most broadened the hobby through the ease of teaching and or play, uniqueness of topic, or novel approach. The SD HIST team is all about growing and broadening the historical gaming community and trying to remove some of the barriers that might keep people out of it. With that in mind, the Summit Award felt like a really good approach to me in that it's not just about the best game of the year, it's about the game that broadened the hobby the most. We got the public involved in this with nominations this past July and a lot of interesting games were nominated. After that, in September, the judges, which were the SD HISTCOM board and advisory committee and honorary members as agreed to by the board, met to come up with four finalists. The four finalists selected were Red Flag Over Paris, Atlantic Chase, Nicaea, and No Motherland Without. And I want to talk about these finalists a little bit, as they all are bringing interesting things to the historical gaming hobby, and hopefully might be able to bring some interesting people in as well. First, Red Flag Over Paris, which the judges eventually chose as the winner of the first Summit Award in a December meeting. Designed by Fred Serval and with art from Donal Haggerty and publication from GMT Games, Red Flag Over Paris is a one to two player game that takes 20 to 40 minutes. It builds upon the system that Mark Herman used in Fort Sumter, which is another game I quite like. And Red Flag Over Paris adds some interesting twists to this. It also covers a really interesting and not often discussed piece of history, the Paris Commune of 1871. So there's a lot to like about it, both for the ease of access to a short game like this, to a game without a whole ton of rules, but to a game that does still offer some interesting decisions and teaches you something about history in the process. The next nominee was Atlantic Chase, with design and art from Jeremy White and publication from GMT Games. Atlantic Chase looks at the German Kriegsmarine against the British home fleet from 1939 to 1942, part of the Battle of the Atlantic. It's also a one or two player game and comes with a wide variety of scenarios, which can take up anywhere from 30 to 120 minutes. What's really interesting about Atlantic Chase is the originality of approach, particularly when it comes to fog of war. It's about plotting various potential paths. Those paths then only get resolved into units at a point when, there, when there's a search or a discovery. Atlantic Chase also came with an excellent learn-to-play approach in the rules, which helped reduce many of the barriers to learning a complex game. Next, there's Nicaea, with design and art from Amabel Holland and publication from Holland Spiel. This is a four to six player game that plays in 60 to 90 minutes. It's about the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, which was an important moment for the early Christian church. And the uniqueness of theme here was a really interesting part of this one. And last but not least, there's No Motherland Without, North Korea in Crisis and Cold War. 
No Motherland Without is published by Compass Games, and it's designed by Daniel Bullock, with art from Daniel Bullock and Ilya Kudryashov. This is a one to two player game that takes 60 to 120 minutes. It's a card-driven game, and it covers North Korea from 1953 to present. One thing that I thought was really interesting in this is the focus on specific individuals in in this regime and how they change over time, with some of them gaining more importance, some of them defecting, and so on. No Motherland Without has not just a really interesting and unique topic, but an interesting and unique approach to that topic. So those are the four finalists for the 2022 Summit Award from the SD HistCon. Again, Red Flag Over Paris was selected as the winner of the 2022 Summit Award. But all of these finalists did some interesting things and hopefully broadened the historical gaming hobby a bit. I was really excited to be part of putting together this Summit Award, and I'm excited for what we're going to do with it this coming year. For more on the Summit Award, check out sdhist.com slash summitaward or my site, boardinggame.com. I'm Andrew Buckles. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, helping you make your game nights better. So the big thing that happened this past week is that I celebrated my birthday, which of course included some good food, crap beer, and of course some games. Before the birthday though, Deanna, Sean, and I sat down and muddled through our first game of Weather Machine. This is the latest from Vital Lacerda ENO tool published by Eagle Griffin Games, hot off Kickstarter, a Kickstarter that Sean was awesome enough to back at the all-in level, which is pretty awesome. Now, I use the term muddle for a reason. This is a beefy game. While I expect a meaty game from this team, this particular one was more opaque than what I'm used to from the trio. Um, There are a lot of moving parts going on in this game, and it's easy to forget a rule or two or five while playing. While it wasn't hard to come up with something to do in this game, I found it really difficult to figure out how to actually get there. And even when I thought I'd figured out a path to do an in-game goal or something I want to complete, I'd figure out that I missed a step along the way and had to rethink my entire turn. Uh, Things like this made the first play of this game rather frustrating. But not in a I-never-want-to-play-again way, but in a wow, this is not an easy game to pick up and it's going to take some work to find the fun kind of way. And I know that alone means this game's not going to be for everyone, including people who usually enjoy heavier games. But I'm still willing to go back to it now that we've figured it out, muddled it through, read some stuff on Board Game Geek, watched the gaming rules video. I'm more prepared to dive back in knowing what we messed up the first time. But still, for an Ian O'Toole um, Vital Asserta game, this one is heavy. Next, we get to the actual birthday celebrations, which started with a game of Dice Kingdoms of Valeria, along with dinner at the Chapter 2 Brewery here in Windsor. We tried out a five-player game on the recommendation of the designer, Levi Moat, and it worked perfectly fine. I'm actually not sure why the box lists the player count as up to only four. Now, this is a fantastic game I'll be talking about more on tonight's live show, so join us on Twitch at 9 if you want to know more about Dice Kingdoms of Valeria. Next up, back home, we played a five-player game of the Quacks of Quedlinburg with both the Herb Witches and Alchemist expansions. 
Now, this is my first time ever using Alchemist. I got that for Christmas, and this is our first time trying to muddle through that one. Actually, muddle is not a bad word here, because this is nothing compared to what we went through with Weather Machine. This one wasn't that bad. There was a little confusion at first, especially on how to spend your essence and how to track it. But once we figured that out by, say, turn three, we had a great time. Now, I dig what Alchemist did. Um, I wouldn't call it a must-have expansion. I do think Herb Witches is a must-have expansion. If you have Quacks, get Herb Witches. Alchemist you may or may not want to pick up. I do like what it added to the game, but it did make it longer, especially playing five players. Now, the big thing that I did like, though, is it gave players a reason to diversify what ingredients they buy, which is actually a cool thing, so it's not just the same people buying the same combo of ingredients every game. So I did like that aspect. Next up, we switched over some light to some lighter fare with Monstrosity, uh, which didn't go over as well as I expected. I personally really dig this drawing game. This is a game where one player describes a monster based on a card you get to stare at for 20 seconds. And then everyone else tries to draw the monster and you get points for how close it is to the original image. Really cool concept for a game. A lot of fun. And you know what? It, everyone had fun. It wasn't bad. But it just wasn't the bundle of laughs we get with other drawing games like, say, Telestrations. I just don't know how often I grab this when I have that on my shelf as well. Now, sticking with party games, we then played Ven by The Op. This is a really neat word-guessing game that uses these funky art cards and Venn diagrams to try to get your teammates. Uh, we played two teams and had a solid time. Though partway through, my wife pointed out, this isn't the best hangout game. Like, it's a birthday party, and here we are just focused on the game. There's no real time for chatting and banter while playing. Which leads me to a two, to two games, two four-player games of Thrones of Valyria. Now, this is a fantastic trick-taking game, one of the best modern trick-taking games I've ever played. Uh, for more info, we reviewed it last week's podcast. There's also a review over at the blog at tabletopbellhop.com. This ended up being perfect for the four of us to play and hang out and talk and play on Spotify and listen to music and catch up and all of the stuff you do at a party. Now, once that game ended, um, it was just my wife and I. We finished off the night with some games of Racco. Uh, at that point, quite a few craft beers had been rated, reviewed, and drank, and we weren't really capable of playing anything heavier. Plus, honestly, Racco is one of those great, you're, it, it's something to do while you're doing other things, right? This was a great, we're chatting, we're enjoying each other's company, we're hanging out, and we just happened to be playing Racco and drinking beer at the same time. Now, a couple days later on Sunday, we celebrated the birthday with my in-laws, where I got some new games as gifts, which... You'll get to hear about those on the podcast, or I'll be talking about them in the future weeks. But important to this show, we played a round of Dice Kingdoms of Valeria with my mother-in-law and the kids. Um, I think I mentioned on the show, I'm not positive, may have been on our podcast, that we have been playing the game wrong. And this was my first time playing it again with the kids and my mother-in-law with the proper rules. And you know what? It's better. I'd play the game by the proper rules. It's better. Who knew? Actually, we all knew. I just messed up the first time we played together but anyway we all had a great time game went really great had a had a lot of fun with that um which leads me to even more dice kingdoms of valeria this was yesterday on tuesday in prep for our review tonight uh this time it was just me playing by the solo rules which i gotta say were fun um very quick uh lightning fast really you could finish off around in about 10 minutes was enjoyable to play but there's just too too many things to track too many things going on so you like you do a harvest phase then you do your action then you do a harvest phase and before you roll the dice you're supposed to mark off a tree but if you roll doubles you got to do an event and when you do an event you got to cross off a, a ship and then wait which which i just rolled the dice was that the harvest phase or the second harvest phase did i remember to cross off a tree at the beginning of this game and i played twice in a row and i don't know if either game i actually played properly without messing up something 
so enjoyable, but like, I almost feel like someone else needs to be there to point out when I'm cheating because I forgot to do something or I did something twice. Overall, my scores were pretty good and I ranked well based on the scoring system in the book. But again, I'm not even positive I played properly. Fun, but you know what? I'd rather play with other people. Finally, the entire Bellhop team sat down Tuesday night to play through the tutorial and prologue for Once Upon a Line. This is one of the most unique games I've ever seen. This is a scratch-off story game based on word searches. Um, Yeah, you heard that right. It's currently live on Kickstarter. I encourage you to head over there, search for Once Upon a Line, and check the game out. It's definitely something unique. Now, I also invite you to tune in to tonight's podcast recording. We'll be doing up a full preview of this game. Now, what I will say here is just as messy as it is unique, which is a problem. Now, in addition to previewing Once Upon a Line and reviewing Dice Kingdoms of Lyria, Sean and I will be talking about out-of-the-box games, truly unique board games, and I'll be sharing even more about the games I played this past week. I hope to see you tonight on Twitch for the next recording of the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast. That's it for me and this week and the games I played this week. Again, I am Motuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop. Good day and game on. Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the Watchmen Playing Wednesdays podcast. And we have one game we want to talk about this week. What game is that, Anna Marie? That game is Flamecraft, designed by Manny Vega, art by Sandra Tang, and published by Cardboard Alchemy. Yeah, Flamecraft. This um, this game has been like super popular. It's been all over the place, uh, all over the internet, people playing this. And it had huge hype. Uh, for it as well um, that I was kind of unaware of like I didn't really know what this game was and then it turned out you pre-ordered it I did <laughs> and we got in the fancy version of it mm-hmm. and yeah so this game uh, do you want to tell them kind of the the theme about what's going on yes so um, the you live in a place where there are a bunch of you know artists and dragons they're kind of the little cousins to the big dragons that fly around everywhere mm-hmm. and they're like baking bread and yeah they're like ar- they're artisan dragons so y- you live in this town and there's a bunch of shops coming up and you basically you have the gift of flamecraft so you can speak to dragons and so what you're trying to do is find out what their talents are and um you know kind of get them jobs put them where they're yeah, gonna they're, do they're their working yeah, yeah but you want to you're gonna put them where they're best suited mm-hmm. is what you're trying to do is match the dragon to the best kind of shop. Yeah. And yeah, that's kind of the, the gist of it. You're just the happy little dragons <laughs> and mm-hmm. just making a fun little town. Yeah. And the way, so the way this game kind of works is you have a main board, which kind of represents the town, um, mm-hmm. kind of like the village, I guess, where it's kind of like the market sort of like, it's like the, it's kind of yeah, it's where, where you you're gonna go attach to shop, all like your bazaar sort yeah. of right, where it's kind of got like a almost like a farmer's market. Yeah, set up kind of. It's exactly what I was gonna say, like a farmer's market. Yeah, it's where like there's a all these different little shops. main drag and all your shops. Yeah. and there's some starting shops that start in the game um, uh, that are laid out in specific order, and then you're gonna add shops to it as yeah. you go. And you each take a. Uh, like dragon, you choose a choose a dragon, people, or yeah. or in our case, we have the the minis that came with it. Yeah, and yeah, on your turn, you're going to be basically placing a dragon at one of these shops and doing a few different things. So what are what are we doing at those shops? 
Yeah, so on your turn, you can basically choose one of two options. Uh, you can, you're, uh, you basically, you take your dragon and you move it to one of the shops. Yeah. And once you're at that shop, you're going to either gather or enchant. So if you gather, um, there's going to be, in every shop, there's a specific resource. Yeah, that's, like a diamond or bread. Or an or anvil. anvils or potions. Yeah. Things like that. And there will be a little symbol representing that. Yeah. Um, so when, if I were to go to, say, the shop with the anvil, I would get an anvil resource. Mm-hmm. Um, if there were any dinosaurs there already dragons. or dragons, sorry, not dinosaurs. We've dinosaur. got uh we've got a dinosaur game also set up on the table. Yes. But <laughs> um if you've got um if there are mo- other dragons there, you also get the resource that shows yeah, on their card. Yeah, cuz each dragon also has its own resource um attached to the card. Yeah, attached symbol yeah. on the card. It's yeah. like what their specialty yeah, is. So you'd get all the different symbols that mm-hmm. are on the, at that particular um business. Yeah, so you basically get if you're gathering, you're going to gain all all the resources that you can and then uh you can place a dragon. So if you have a dragon in your hand that um the, where their symbol matches the one one of the ones at the store, mm-hmm. you can uh or it's going to have little little spots if it matches it you can put a dragon down and then um and there's only a certain amount of spots that three yeah there's three spots per each each little shop and um and then and you get a reward when you place a dragon Mm -hmm. and then you get to fire up one of the dragons in the village so or one of the dragons in the shop dragon is unique yes and each dragon has a unique thing it or no each, each i should say each dragon has a unique name but there's Different Only types. So like all the types. diamond types have the same ability. Yes. All the anvil types have the same ability. Right. Yeah. So, you know, one might be get a new dragon. So then you can go to the, there's a little tableau of dragons laid out and you can they pick can a new pick dragon. Yep. Yeah. And then. Yeah. Those to your hand for playing out later in rounds and so forth. Yeah. yeah. One will let you like switch a dragon from one shop to another shop. And, and so different things like that. Mm-hmm. So you can fire up one of them. So if there's only one dragon, you can fire up that one. But if there are three dragons in the shop, you get to choose which one you want to fire up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the shops. So none of the starter shops have the abilities. But as you're playing out more of the shops, they'll have specific abilities that that you can use on them as well so then you can fire up that ability and then that's the end of your turn so if on your turn you gathered any dragons or anything like that you would just refill the the cards refill everything and then you always just on your next turn you have to move from wherever you are to another spot yeah you can't start in the same one but if you move to a spot with another player like if you move to a spot where i have a dragon you have to pay me some reason a resource a resource or two or something yeah yeah and and so that's gathering the other option you can do if you don't gather is you can enchant Mm -hmm. so also you have a little tableau of enchantments and they're going to tell you what you need to what you need so that's going to use the resources that you collected in the gather to pay for these enchantments and the enchantments are going to give you points which are going to help you win the game Mm -hmm. so it might say okay for you know, five anvils and three diamonds, you can get this enchantment. So then you're going to spend and it gets you X amount of points. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. So when and you, then those, those add to the shops, right? Or what you keep the enchantment and it just gives you points. What gets tucked? Oh, they, the shop? yeah. They get tucked behind the shop. Yeah, you're right. right. Yes. Yeah, so that increases the amount of resources yes. that the shops have. So the next time you go there, if that one's been yes. enchanted two or three times, it's going to have like three or four, 
diamonds um, or anvils diamonds or whatever already at the top for every time you gather mm-hmm. aside from the dragons that are there yeah so yeah. you can end up getting quite a few resources when you gather yeah. um but yeah when you when you enchant so you choose one um and again it has to match the the symbol that of the shop you're on mm-hmm. but then um then you can fire any number of the dragons in that shop. So if there are three dragons in that shop, yeah, you, you can, can fire all the them things. all. Yeah. And that way you get like, whole bunch a whole bunch things. of stuff, right? Yeah. So it kind of helps set you up for you can figure out where you're going to go so you can set yourself up for the next turn yep. um, and things like that. And there's also fancy dragons you can get, yeah. which are the... Um, end game scoring cards and things yeah. like that and, and they'll yeah, have like go back and forth they'll have instant ones that you, that will score you and then and then end, and game, then end ones. game ones yeah there's yeah. daytime and nighttime yeah. dragons yeah daytime instant nighttime yeah. end game yeah and that's kind of how it goes you just go round and round and round and round until there's two game end triggers where either all the artisan dragons deck has run out or what was the yeah, other one? when the dragons run out, or the um, enchantment deck. Yeah, runs so when out. one of these two decks runs out, that triggers the end of the game, and everything. I think everyone gets another turn or something. Yeah, and everybody then, gets another turn. And then you go through end game scoring, and uh, yeah, highest score wins. It's a fun one. Yeah, I so like it's this like one. the highest score. The idea is that the highest scorer has placed the most dragons in the best suited places for them. Yeah, and. Yeah, I think we may end up doing a full uh, review of this game on I think the Meeple so Dungeon too. podcast. Um, probably within the next few weeks. It's super cute. But yeah, it was a cute one and yeah. it was uh, yeah better than I anticipated. So I guess we'll leave it at that. And if you hadn't uh, seen, we just dropped our top 10 games of 2022 episode on the Meeple Dungeon podcast. So if you want to run over there and check that out, that'd be great. And yeah. we are going to run and we'll see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Hello, my name is Alex and I write board game reviews over at MeepleandMoose.com and I'm here to talk to you today about the games I played this week for What You've Been Playing Wednesday. This past week was a good week for gaming. I got to play Verdant, Race for the Galaxy, Crokinole, Burgle Bros 2, and Bullet Heart in addition to the games I'm going to talk about today. I hope to play more of each of these games soon so you can look forward to my thoughts on those in a coming episode. The first game I want to talk about is Rolling Rounds by Jamie Stakemeyer and published by Stonemeyer Games in 2021. Rolling Realms was Jamie's coronavirus lockdown project. He leveraged his community to develop and play a little roll and write game via Facebook Live. I remember seeing the videos come and go and I think they were great distractions for those who needed them at the time. Like many roll and write games, Rolling Realms gives every player the exact same setup, the same input, but lets players diverge in their choices, with the player who earns the most points at the end being the winner. Rolling Realms can scale up to any number of players, you're only limited by the components that you have. And Rolling Realms is available as a free print and play, so if your group exceeds 6, or if you want an activity to do with your friends and family who are scattered to the four winds, this is available to you. Rolling Realms contains 6 sets of 11 realms. Each game will have one player select the 3 realms that will be in play for that round, and then everyone prepares the same realms. One player will roll the two absolutely massive dice, and then each player will utilize the two die, choosing one realm to activate for one of the numbers rolled, and a second realm to activate for the second number rolled. Players will acquire resources and spend resources to modify the die values rolled and earn cascading bonuses to earn victory points or stars, and at the end of nine rounds, the player with the most points is the winner. All 11 realms that come in the box play differently, and are vaguely reminiscent of Stonemeyer's game's other games. 
The Scythe Realm has you marking off a top row action to earn resource, and then if you have the resources available to you, you can spend them to also mark off a bottom row resource. The Tapestry Realm has a 6x6 square grid, and each number has a different shape associated with it, and so you spend the number to fill in the grid with shapes and earn points on the rows and columns that you complete. A full game of Rolling Realms is supposed to take place over three rounds, and each round consisting of nine turns. Each round has you tackling a new set of realms, meaning that on your first couple turns you'll be doing a lot of learning. Don't get me wrong, it's nice that every realm is different, and I love the variability, but if your first play of Rolling Realms is at the end of a long day, and after you've already finished a different game, your mushy brain might have trouble with the changing rule sets. Overall, I liked Rolling Realms, it was easy and inoffensive, the production quality is excellent, and if you've played a lot of Stonemaier games, you'll find yourself reminiscing over each of the bigger games that are featured here. Stonemaier seems keen on supporting this project, as there are currently 8 micro-expansions based on other games, like A Feast for Odin, Ark Nova, and Honeybuzz, to name just a few. Each expansion adds 6 copies of a single new realm, uh, but I suspect there will always be more realms coming out to keep this game fresh. Rolling Realms is fast and fun to play. Considering a version of the game is available as a free print and play, there's no reason not to give this one a try if it sounds even the least bit interesting to you. Remember that time that I said I wasn't a solo gamer? I think it's time to give up the act. Given that I've only backed 3 crowdfunding projects in the last 3 years, and 2 of those were solo focused games, I might have to start admitting that I actually enjoy playing a board game by myself. One Deck Galaxy by Chris Cheslick and published by Asmati Games is the follow-up to One Deck Dungeon, a game that crams a whole lot of game into a tiny box and a single deck of cards. Actually, this name is a bit of a misnomer in that there is more than a single deck of cards in the game. The One Deck name refers more to the single stack of cards that will depict the locations and events that you'll need to colonize or study, and the deck of, the deck of location cards slowly depletes and once the deck runs out, your foe becomes more dangerous, pushing you closer to losing. Here's the lowdown. Each turn, your character generates a pool of dice of varying colors, and also each turn, during the discovery phase, four location cards are turned face up in front of you. If there were already cards there, they don't get replaced, it just fills up to ensure that you have four face up cards every turn. During the action phase, you roll all of your dice, and then you assign them to various locations. Most of, the, most of the locations in the game will have either a small colored square with a number, meaning you must put a single die of the matching color with a pip value equal to the number or exceeding it or a rectangle with a number in it, meaning that you might put multiple die of that color into that rectangle until the sum of all die placed there meet or exceed that value. You can also assign dice to your spaceship for various effects like generating spaceships or researching location cards, which will take them out of the discovery zone and tuck them behind your spaceship for, the si for their science value. Once all of your dice have been assigned, you then resolve everything. Each location will tell you how many influence completing each row will net you. You tuck a card from the one deck behind the location card to count as influence, and if any location's influence meets or exceeds this threshold, you get to claim the card, either tucking it to the left of your character, boosting your die pool for the next rounds, or tuck it below your character card, earning you a tech that you can use to manipulate your dice in future rounds. And that's the basics of the game. Each foe has their own card with rules on how they act. The Nebel Woober colony fleet can suck die from the supply onto the card, forcing you to pay a certain amount of resources to release them. And every three turns, they get a new colony. If the number of colonies they have doubles your character's federation level, you lose the game. And uh, I lost this game real fast. I failed at increasing my federation level at all, and the Nebel Woobler stole all my blue die. I know from playing One Deck Dungeon that this game can feel really hard and even impossible when you first start, but there's a skill ceiling to work up to. 
Yes, there's lots of luck in the game, but learning how to mitigate that luck is what makes this interesting. I know I'll be returning to One Deck Galaxy soon to explore the other characters and foes. I imagine just like Bullet Heart, some characters will do will do better against certain foes than others. Either way, I'm excited to explore what this game has in store. And that's all I played this week. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find my contact information and my other board game reviews on my website, meeplethemoose.com. Have a happy Wednesday. Hey there, everybody. Norm here from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. And uh, I'd like to talk about two games, specific games that I played. I've played a few, but uh, I want to talk about two games. Uh, one of them I've uh, played once before, and uh, I, I'm still kind of like on the fence about it. And uh, the second one I'm going to talk about is uh, the foundation of, of my upbringing. <laughs> and uh, so the first one is uh, Smash Up, and uh, it was Jordan's uh, pick for Gamer's Garage, or Gamer's Garage, and uh, <laughs> however snooty you want to be. And uh, he picked Smash Up, designed by Paul Peterson and published by Alderac Entertainment Group, or AEG, as you know. And uh, the tagline, combine two awesome factions and battle opponents to see who rules. And uh, yeah, it's... The, so basically, if you've never played Smash Up before, it's, I mean, the word, there's a double kind of entendre to the world, to the word, I mean. Uh, first of all, you smash up two different decks to make one complete deck because you're playing, uh, um, it's not necessarily deck building, but a hand management. Yeah, sure, there you go. Um, uh, and uh, so what you do is, you uh, you have this deck of uh, two different factions with different abilities because the point is that each faction has two bases. And if you're playing four players, you know, do the math. You're going to have that many bases. And I think you only, at, at four player, you only put out, uh, if I can visualize, five bases at a time. And each base has a number value on it. And also with that number value, because that's the target value that you're trying to get to trigger the base. Now, the base also has a first, second, and third point value system. Sometimes it's kind of balanced. Sometimes it's completely out of whack. And uh, every time, each one of those bases has its own power that gets triggered by certain things that happen to it or onto it or so on and so forth, right? So it's it's one of these games where the cards kind of direct the 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 rule choices in the moment, okay? And um, so what you're doing is on your turn, you're 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 basically putting a card down and you're trying to uh, vie for uh, area control, I guess, and uh, and superiority. Uh, by when when you trigger the value of the base, you evaluate the points immediately. And uh, sometimes second place is better than first place because first place might have you know lower points, but then the 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 event or the power of that base might benefit the first place player, right? I mean, there's just crazy stuff that happens. And it's honestly, down to it, it's a race to 15 points. 
So you're trying to strategically get as many base wins as possible to gain points. Now, I haven't even gotten to the interesting part. That's the mechanical structure of the game. Now, the factions, wow. Like, I'm talking across, if you could think about it, there's a card deck with it and have like the, the, the separation of power cards amongst those. Because I had, here we go, are you ready for it? I had sharks. Yeah, powerful sharks. And princesses. I had sharks and princesses. That was my deck. And uh, it was awesome. It was fun. The, uh, I can't, I'm off the top of my head, I can't remember what the uh, Jordan, uh, Jeff, and uh, Dave had. But there were some crazy combinations that did some crazy things. And uh, it's, yeah, it's basically like a uh, snowball fight. <laughs> I mean, as far as the energy goes, because there's, there's no you know, crazy depth to it. It's just pushing buttons and pulling levers and uh, making things happen. Uh, um, and it says it plays 45 minutes, and it's pretty accurate. Um, it's, it's not a complex game, but it's a fun game, right? Uh, and yeah, so I totally, if this hit the table, I'd totally play that again, just because of the simple fact that there are so many faction combinations that you will, you will be entertained, win or lose. I, I, you know, hopefully I was at least. So yeah, that's Smash Up by, uh, designed by Paul Peterson and published by AEG. Now... Moving on to, I should have like a, like a choir of angels singing in the background. I'm, uh, I had the opportunity, and I'm so glad this happened. I got an email from uh, a colleague that I, uh, being a high school teacher, uh, about 15 years ago, there was a bunch of us that, uh, at this one high school that we all taught at, uh, that lunchtime, we had three crocodile tables going and we would sprint to the staff room at lunchtime and try to get in. And uh, man, for like two, two, three years, the crocodile table w ruled, right? And uh, so I got an email and uh, it was it's like the Blues Brothers putting the band back together. And uh, we had a crocodile night and yeah, three, four boards came out. And man, that was just so much fun. The uh, like the, the the lingo came back, like all the vocabulary that we use, like the the slang about certain shots, you know, you know, shooting it through the eye of the needle, and you know, RTB, uh, uh, do too much, right? Um, <laughs> that, there was just all of this kind of like mind game stuff that came out again. And uh, it was such, I mean, socially speaking, which is why I love this hobby. Socially speaking, there was so much reconnection going on and so much, uh, uh, you know, just positive vibes going on in that room. Now, Crokinole, <laughs> this is probably the oldest game because it says 1876. And being a Canadian history teacher, uh, yeah, this is Canada's, I would say this is Canada's original game. And if you want to, if you've never heard of it and you don't know what I'm talking about, Think uh, on, on the top of the table, picture a four by four table, and in that middle of the table is around a three foot circle. And inside this circle is another game board circle and visualize a dartboard, or if you're, uh, if you're familiar with the sport of curling, the, the house of a curling rink, but inside the, the, the secondary, the ring just before the center point uh, are, are pegs 
that are equally spaced apart uh, on the perimeter of this circle, the, uh, I would say the first, second, the third ring, the inside ring, uh, which is the 15 point, and then outside is that 10, and then the outside of that, the perimeter is five, and that's where you have the shooting line. So what you're doing is you have these discs, depending on how many people are playing, you have a certain amount of discs, and on your turn, it's basically kind of shuffleboard meets curling-ish dartboard kind of thing. And uh, yeah, you I mean, you can play to a certain amount of points or you can play to who wins each end or round. And uh, it's one of those games where it can be as casual or as serious as you want it to be. And uh, I had to remember to bring my rules lawyer, uh, uh, mental kind of frontal lobe want, had to dial it back a little because I come from the school of Crokinole where it's called the one cheek rule. Well, first of all, you don't touch the board. You don't rotate it. It's, it's, it's like you don't, you don't touch the Mona Lisa. You don't touch the Crokinole board. Second thing is, once you're playing, you do not move that chair. Because I grew up with the one cheek rule. <laughs> and uh, I don't, I, you know, I don't even think I need to explain that one. It, yeah, have to have at least one cheek on the chair. And let's move on. Um, so, yeah, the game system can be, like I said, as casual or as serious as you want it. And we had always played to 200. No, wait. Yeah, to 200. And uh, man, we, the, the evening started and everyone was like, oh man, am I rusty? Man, by the end of the night, you can hear people going, all right, a double and a cookie, right? I, which means a double takeout and we're dropping it in the middle for 20 points. And uh, yeah, there's, I mean, about 80% of the time it happened. So yeah, I mean, just you could just hear how much I love this game. And uh, as far as dexterity flicking games goes, I mean, I mean, you could try other ones, but this is the one. It's the one. I feel like it's Highlander right now. <laughs> well, that being said, I'd like to thank you so much for listening. And I'd like to also thank the content creators for contributing to this episode because it wouldn't happen without you. And that being said, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh?